0: going on just goes to show listeners it is your co-host ridge and we are back happy new year i think it's still okay to say that
1: here um at this point in the year but yeah we're back better than ever Um, really excited to be here and uh yeah obviously just coming from the other mic here it's been a long time excited
0: to uh be back on the mic here jack and dive into some prem action yeah it has been a minute hasn't it and a good point happy new year hope everyone had a great holiday season um whatever you celebrate um when did we what do you think we started doing this pod chris what year
1: um it was the world cup i think right so 2018 is that right
0: yeah i think so so we started right after that summer like doing a little analysis of the world cup and then we might have done a preview but
1: it was definitely during that summer yeah
0: during the world cup right It was. It was a preview. Um, Yeah, you're right. So um, we're officially on, yeah, year three, I guess, um, of podcasting and making these episodes um, in some seemingly irregular pattern um, (laughs) in clusters, I should say, um, you know, because obviously we have real lives to deal with. Um, And then just while we're on the pod, I guess, as we're kicking things off, talking about milestones, congratulations to you for your new uh, your new home. Chris is now a homeowner.
1: Yeah, thanks. It's been crazy. A um, lot to do, a lot of work, a um, lot of money, but it's been pretty exciting. <laughs> so, still getting settled in, but appreciate that. I'm In my new studio, uh, so to speak, over here. the first time potting
0: from the new house, so another milestone to be broken as well. Damn studio, studio. Yeah, I'm in uh, one bedroom, one room in my apartment, which kind of is my kitchen, living room. Uh, dining room, everything, and you have a fucking studio. Yeah, um, by so. studio,
1: I mean like the 90 year old woman that lived here before me in her bedroom. She had like this little vanity with like a mirror and everything, <laughs> and that's what I'm on right now. But it kind of looks like a desk a little bit. Um, if you didn't know was that. She, <laughs> was she a podcaster? Did she podcast? I think she did, yeah. I, I know she listened to the pod as well before I met her. She brought that up. She's a big EPL fan, so. Um, I nice. think she think she supports Brentford, I want to say, long time bee supporter, but uh, right. yeah, shout up Maureen, the uh, old homeowner here, hope you're doing well, uh, but yeah, so <laughs> not really a studio, Mar- but honestly a better setup than I had before in the basement of my other house. So.
0: Nice, Maureen's a bee. Um, that's good to know. Mm -hmm. Uh, all right, well, let's, uh, what we're going to cover, uh, this week on the pod, we're going to be covering, uh, some of the transfer speculations and transfer activity so far in the Premier League, because obviously as it's a new year, it's a new transfer window. So, um, teams are trying to... Grab some transfers um, in what's typically the small, the quieter transfer window um, and before the end of January here. Um, and obviously there's been an influx of money into the Premier League uh, with Newcastle uh, ownership change. So some changes there that we'll discuss. Um, we'll also talk a little bit about the state of the table um, and then chat briefly about AFCON, which is going on right now. Some crazy shit's happening um, in the continent of Africa with the African Cup of Nations. Um, and then per usual, we'll peruse down to our predictor app picks. Um, and send you off to um, to those picks. Um, Nick Harmon right now is running away with it. Uh, he was on the pod a couple weeks ago. Um, but reminder to join our league, it's S9YQB6. You can jump in, and you can win real cash. you say that every time. Oh, you can. Um, I bought a house with it. <laughs> that's true yeah bought a house with uh, the predictor winnings you can do that um, that's how you got to where you are today mm-hmm. so Chris as we sort of kick off transfer speculation um, thoughts on the window so far or what you expect to see so far this or, or this January window
1: um yeah I mean I think it's been relatively quiet for the first uh 10 11 days here uh, there's a lot of rumors I mean We've seen a couple teams come out and be a little bit more aggressive, and we're going to dive into that um, specifically with a couple of moves. But it seems like a lot of the bigger clubs are not going to be doing a ton of major business right now. I think it's going to be um, a little bit more of a story of clubs farther down the table trying to bolster themselves up for relegation battles and um, maybe a couple of loan moves here and there. But you know, ultimately, it hasn't been a huge window. I kind of expected it to be a little bit quieter I don't know if AFCON makes much of a difference for that or not. I think it probably doesn't help um, the the speed of transfers going through if players are away on international duty. I mean, it's obviously just one continent of players. But, uh, you know, I think overall um, there's been a couple of signings that could be pretty impactful. I'm sure we'll see plenty more over the next couple of weeks, but it hasn't been anything too too crazy at this point.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting. The whole idea of doing January business is – you know, it's it's very interesting to justify a transfer fee in January because, you know, the impact that a player is going to have is only over half of a season left. So you kind of are, you diminish almost like the impact a big sign can have. Whereas you think of, you know, you sign someone in the summer, you think, oh, they can do all this over a 38-game Premier League season and in the cups and yada, yada. Um, and so you really only see business uh, or transfer activity happen from teams where they basically say between now and the end of the season... We think we can actually advance our position which there's only a handful of teams who are you know could do that right like if you're hovering around if you're where crystal palace is like crystal palace isn't going to make any moves in january i don't think right um hovering at like 11th in the table you know they're not going to get relegated but they're not going to make a european push so they don't really have like an incremental gain by say they spent 30 million pounds and they gain two places in the table by an excellent signing doesn't really do anything for them right financially so you really like you said only see teams make moves where it's like they're on the cusp of europe or um they're on in the relegation battle and you know those one or two places that a key signing can change in the table um you can justify that that larger spend in january because also it's not you know it's it's not a a good selling market or it's not a good buyer's market teams don't want to um don't want to get rid of their players midway through the season right if you're yeah
1: And the other thing I was going to say, too, is the other thing that you might see um, spark some activity is, you know, planning, I guess, for the summer in advance. But there's going to be players that are out of contract in six months. And for teams that don't think they're going to be able to resign those guys, it might make sense to offload them, get a little bit of money while they can. Or if they know that um, they're going to be losing guys in the summer out of contract, if they can get in ahead of the market on a player or two in January, it might make sense. But you're right. Most of the time you're going to be overpaying uh, because there's not a lot of incentive for these teams to sell players uh, with six months left of the season or I guess not six months, but, you know, half the season left. And um, um, but I I do think that sometimes, um, you know, you'll see guys that are going to be out of contract or that are unsettled that might make a move to, um, you know, basically for the, the club to be able to cash in a bit on them.
0: Yeah, I, I actually heard uh, Danny Hagenbotham say something on uh, HBO, or not HBO, NBC, sorry, um, the other day about how when a player gets into the last 18 months, or uh, last two years of their contract, between 18 months and two years, they, they hold all the power, he said. Um, and I gotta credit him because I thought that was very insightful, and I, I completely agree. I think, um, you know, if you're a player and you've got 18 months left on a deal, cough, cough, Mohamed Salah right now, um, and... You're at the point where you're getting you're getting close to that. Okay, teams are eyeing you up on a free transfer, and you can't let someone like an asset go for free. Um, You don't want to if you're a well-run club, right? Um, Especially with a player valuation like Mohamed Salah. But at the same time, so you know a club wants to resign you to avoid letting you go on a free, Um, and so you know there's kind of a time clock on that. But you're also at a point where. you know, your value is still really high. You're in the prime of your career or, you know, you're mid-season, right, with 18 months to go. Um, And so that's usually the point where the player valuation is the highest and then their negotiation power is is the strongest in those contract negotiations, Um, which is sort of a a longer look at the point you're making around uh, someone having six months left on their contract. Which I haven't asked you, Chris, do you think Liverpool should offer Mohamed Salah like a number one player in the world deal?
1: It's a tough call. Um... I think that he's playing like that right now. I think maybe like the only guy that you could say who is like performing better than him might be like Robert Lewandowski at this point. But um, yeah, I mean, I think he he's probably deserving of that. But if you're Liverpool, it's it's a tough decision. I mean, you're committing to a guy who is getting up there in years, and he's, thir- he's,
0: thir- he's thirty right now. He's I think twenty nine. Con- turns thirty in the th- summer. He'll be 31 when the contract expires or turning 31 when the contract yeah, expires. Exactly, yeah.
1: Um that's yeah, It's a good point. So you're thinking you're probably going to sign him for like at least 3 years. Um you know, he hasn't really lost a step, but this is kind of the time in the career when some of those guys do start to slow down a little bit. I would say that at this point he's a club legend, it'd be hard not to resign him. I think it's probably more likely that Mane moves than Salah, but you know, a lot of these guys at this point in their career too, maybe he wants to change, maybe he wants to go play in Spain or italy or something like that where some of these guys that are a little bit older seem to wind down their careers At you don't really see a lot of Premier league players that are 33 years old playing um meaningful minutes unless they're at man united right now i guess
0: yeah or it's a central defender or a goalkeeper obviously right. you don't see many attackers doing it um and and you kind of have to be a unique physical specimen. I think Mohamed Salah came out and said the other day that it's in Liverpool's hands. He's not asking for anything ridiculous, um, and he said it's you know it's all up to them. I love the club out and the fan, and, you know, and the fan. I love the fans, and so hopefully I get the deal, which I think is kind of a, a bush league move for Mohamed Salah to like hang it out in the public like that. Like if I'm Liverpool, I'm like I don't we don't need that negative press. We don't need to be made look like the bad guys because for all we know, Mohamed Salah is asking for an absolutely obscene contract, um, which which he's saying isn't crazy. Uh, But Liverpool saying, you know, is the most money that anyone's being paid weekly in the world kind of thing, which he might be doing because he's arguably the best player in the world. So, well, and like um, you said, he
1: holds all the power right now. So I don't mind that. I mean, I think that if you're a Liverpool supporter, you're probably wanting the club to do whatever they can to keep him. Um, So, yeah, I mean, why not? I think that it probably is in their hands to an extent. You know, he's put out what, what his demands are. And if they don't meet him, then he's willing to walk. So I think it's a good negotiating tactic. I don't think it's really that big of a distraction either at this point, but we'll see. Um, Let's move into some actual uh, business that's going on right now, though, in the window.
0: Yeah. So we'll start with Aston Villa, who's probably been the the most lively team in the window um, with what I deemed on a phone call with uh, our insider, uh, Andy Ridgway, earlier today um, as the highest profile signing in Aston Villa history. Um of Philippe Coutinho. Um, And I don't know if you agree or disagree with that, Chris. I was thinking back to, like, John Carew was a huge name that they signed. Um, And, you know, in in the early 90s, late 80s, um, you know, uh, some big names came over. But I I really do think, I mean, he's the third most expensive player in world transfer history. Um, And I think he's probably the highest profile player that Aston Villa has ever signed. Uh, Yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. Right. So he joins from uh, on a season, uh, season long loan, I should say. Well, you know, however, month, six month loan um, from Barcelona. Um, he also reportedly took a cut in wages to join um, and had, had some offers from teams that were willing to pay him more. Um, and uh, because Barcelona needs to offload some of their, his wage bill. Um, and a lot of that people are putting down to Steven Gerrard's influence.
1: I think you have to. I mean, it makes sense. They've played together. So, and and Coutinho's come out and said that the second that he talked to Gerard and Gerard laid out his plans, he was sold. I think I read that there were five uh, Premier League clubs that were in on and on the deal. Um, So I'm not shocked to see Villa win it out because I don't imagine that he was getting a ton of offers from like Champions League clubs at this point. Um, I think it was probably Mm -hmm. more clubs that are outside the top six, outside the top eight right now that were really going after him. But um, you know only a handful of teams can even if you took a pay cut it's still probably pretty expensive for Villa so there, you have to kind of consider that too but I, I think it, it does come down to Jared I mean I, I watched an interview with Coutinho um, I don't know what it, I think it was like two years ago maybe but they were talking about who knows what and Jared came up and he was talking about how Stevie G was the best midfielder he ever played with he used to play with him in FIFA and video games and stuff. And mm-hmm. he said when he got to Liverpool and started playing with them, he was even better than he would have thought he was. So he obviously admires him a lot. And I think that's the reason why I get excited about the deal is because I typically am not someone who wants to sign a guy who is a little bit out of favor, a high-profile signing that might be a little bit past his prime, maybe. Um, but, you know, Gerard, I kind of have some trust given the, the relationship they've already had.
0: Yeah, I think – I mean, if I'm, as a Villa fan, I'm absolutely buzzing about the signing. I think, like I said, the biggest profile signing in Villa's club history. And, you know, Steven Gerrard, the, the ability to pull him to the club – is already showing what, it, what it, we've already talked about how steam Jarrett's a class manager. And so to be able to recruit that kind of talent, um, you know, shows what signing a high profile player will do for you. Right. And so you think Patrick Fierro has a sim- similar, influence and will have a similar influence at crystal palace. So thrill about that signing. And then the other signing left back, Luca Dean is going to give Maddie target a run for his money for that starting place at left back. Do you think he slots straight into the team or.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't think they sign him for what they paid for him to not start him right away. And and this is an interesting one too. I mean, he's 28. I think the move is about 25 mil. Um, Just out of favor at Everton. I think him and Rafa Benitez had a a bit of a falling out. He hasn't really been playing consistently. Uh, It's interesting with him though because he offers a lot going forward. I think Um, he's clearly like he's a good crosser of the football. He's going to provide a lot of chances Um, defensively. I'm not sure if he's more reliable than Matt Target or not, and He's also, from what, I, what I've what i seen, and this is more speculation, I guess I don't really have numbers to back it up, but I feel like he's kind of injury-prone. I think he's been banged up quite a bit through the past few years. But he's got a lot of ability, and so I think it makes sense. I think if you look at Villa's squad right now, as much as I love Matt Target, it's probably one of the weaker parts of the team. So mm-hmm. um, I think it was a spot that was an obvious upgrade. If you have him and Matty Cash as your fullbacks, I think you're doing pretty well there. Um, so I like the move. Um, I mean, both these are interesting, right? I, they're both guys that are, um, a little bit older, but they're, they're they're guys that you think you could probably slot in right away. Um, because of that. And I think they're going to bring some experience to the, the team. It's a pretty young team at Villa right now. So I don't think that hurts to have a little bit of experience. You already brought in Danny Ings, another guy that's a veteran who's got a lot of Premier League experience. So, um, yeah, I, I do think he'll play right away.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, agreed. I think they'll both slot in. I think it you know, fits that mold. And I think it of what we were talking about earlier is Villa sort of being on the cusp. And I think these deals in, are indicative that I think Villa is trying to make a European push for this season. I really do think they are. Um, and I was talking to, like I said, our, our PL insider, Andy Ridgway, who thinks that um, they're going to be in for $50 million to sign Calvin Phillips as well um, and are using Yves Bissouma as a smokescreen Um where they don't actually want Basuma, but they want Calvin Phillips because um, leads need the cash because they need a bigger squad full of first-team players. It's a very interesting transfer talk coming from our PL Insider um, and Twitter guru, um, AVFC Detroit, Andy Ridgway.
1: That's interesting. I mean, uh, Phillips has been linked with United for a long time. Um, <laughs> I... <laughs> I don't see that, but I would absolutely love that signing for Villa. I think he is exactly the, the type of player that they're missing at this point. I think they do need a defensive midfielder, a ball winning midfielder um, who can play with John McGinn. Um, you know, maybe Doug Louise. Depending on how they line up, it's gonna. We'll, we'll see, right? But um, that would be very interesting. He's isn't Calvin Phillips still hurt? We know what his injury yeah. status is right now.
0: I don't know what his injury status is. I know I, I do know he is still hurt. Yes, um, I don't know like his return expected return.
1: I'll, uh, I'll try to get... find that quick, but yeah, I mean that would be crazy. Um, the other thing that <laughs> makes that a little bit wild is that the tables it can change a lot here quickly. But Villa currently sit in 14th. They got a couple games in hand on a lot of the teams ahead of them. But you know, they win two games, they're basically up to like eighth ninth and points depending on how other results go i mean they got a lot of work to do to get into a european place right now Uh, like spurs right now are in sixth and they have 33 points on 18 games villa have 22 on 19 they got a lot of room to to move up there um but you know i think there's room for optimism the four-minute jared's been good um they're getting some guys back from injury it's just – that's that's ambitious, but I love it. I mean, hey, and worst case, then you have Luka uh, Digne. I don't know however you want to say it, but whatever. Uh, you have him for next year. You have the opportunity to potentially uh, keep Coutinho if he plays well because they have an option to buy. Um, I mean, Calvin Phillips would be a, a crazy signing. I think Basuma would be too. I, I'd really take either of them. Um, but Phillips is someone that I'd be – I'd be really surprised if he moves not to a very big club and I United's been the club that's been linked with him for a long time. Um, getting back to like probably at least a year ago, maybe longer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what pans out. I think, uh, you know, I think if they'll end up getting him somehow, it's, an insane deal. I'd rate him really highly. Um, and Moving on to some of the other business, Chris, we had uh, Kieran Trippier and Chris Wood join Newcastle. And then uh, Ma- Michaelenko, um, the outside defender, outside back, join uh, Everton. Uh, yeah. But to say on those. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. So I think we should start with Newcastle. And I, I think Chris, Wood. I don't think is technically announced by the club yet, but it seems like that's um, a foregone conclusion at this point. So, we'll start with Trippier, I guess. Um, I like the Trippier move. I've always liked Kieran Trippier. I I thought he kind of got a bad rap when he... I mean, he got sold to Atletico Madrid, so it's not like he went to a bad club or anything, but um, I think he's really, really talented, at least going forward. I mean, he's going to be able to supply a lot of attacking production out of a a right-back position for Newcastle, which um, is you know, it's nice to have. He's 31, so the signing that's clearly um we they're they're trying to stay up and they think that he can help them stay up because this is not a signing for the future by any means um and you know newcastle need help immediately they are in 19th in the table they have one win through 19 matches right so they've been really bad um i like the trip you're signing i don't know what, what your thoughts are i've always been kind of partial to him but i'm I think that they need to do a lot more than that if they're going to be making a push to stay up this season. And I think that if they go down, it's a signing that's just not going to really make sense for them long term.
0: Yeah, I mean, I... I think it's yeah, it's very clearly an effort to stay up the season. I think you'll see a couple signings sort of like that, players with experience and can help help them navigate this fight because they didn't go for that at the manager level uh, with Eddie Howe. So I expect you know, and, and same thing with Wood, right? An experienced established Premier League forward, um, Trippier. I think they previously they were starting Javi Manquillo at right back um, and. You're just you're not going to get far with him <laughs> as your outside back. So I think it fills an obvious hole, um, and he's an England international. So big win. And then uh, with the Chris Wood signing, I think it's almost a double whammy because not, not only do I think it's a, a, as good a signing as it is. Um, I mean, it's 25 million. It's a lot of money to play for New, you know New Zealand forward Chris Wood, um, who's not exactly a prolific goal scorer, but is a, is a proven Premier League goal scorer. Scores between 10 to 15 goals a season. Um, he comes into the team, gives him a center forward presence um, and, you know, has, has scored goals in the Premier League before, understands, understands the defenses they'll be playing. And then plus um, he, you take us, you know, the leading goal scorer away from Burnley, who is your relegation rival, um, which, so it's kind of like a two for one. It's almost like a six pointer. Um, So I actually like, I like both of those deals from Newcastle, um, but I'm not looking at them from a financial perspective.
1: Right. And you can't, because we talk about how it's a, it's a seller's market. It's even more of a seller's market when you're selling to Newcastle, because they just reek of desperation at this point, you know, that they're going to need players. And so you can really strong arm them. Um, but I, I actually love the Chris Wood signing for them. I think it's probably not going to be the flashiest because Chris Woods is not really a flashy player. No one on Burnley is. Um, but you're right. I love the aspect that you take away one of the best attackers for a team that you're going head-to-head against in a relegation battle. And I also think that that is a signing that makes sense for Newcastle if they go down because I think Chris Wood could score 25, 30 goals in the championship next season. I mean, he's, he's physically very good. Um, and if you got a guy like Kieran Trippier whipping in crosses to him, I mean, he's a huge aerial threat. So um, I think that that signing makes a lot of sense. I was really surprised by it because, you know, a month ago, a month and a half ago, we were talking about all these Newcastle rumors with the new owners. And we weren't talking about guys like Chris Wood. But we were talking about guys like Tino, right, or, um, you know, bigger names like that, guys that are out of favor at their bigger clubs, but not a guy like Chris Wood. I'm very surprised by it. Um, I, I think that they activated his, rele- or his release clause, so I don't think Burnley really had an option to keep him at this point. Uh, but I think it was a really smart move. I think they're going to need to make two or three more signings to really feel confident that they're going to be able to make a push to stay up. Three teams at the bottom right now are in trouble, um, along with Watford. And then outside of that, I mean, I really think there's only about four teams that you could say are in a relegation battle right now, and, and Leeds could maybe slip into there. Um, Everton, God forbid, if they keep tumbling, maybe. Um, but New, Newcastle are going to need more help. They need to bring in um, a better midfielder. They probably need at least one or two more defenders. I mean, there's going to need to be more investment made. I think.
0: Yeah, just think. I think they need, you know, a, a sort of an a- athletic. Um, Ball uh, possessive central midfielder um I think that's what that team's missing I said it a few times I don't I don't really feel like they have a ton of steel in the middle of the park right like John Joe Shelby kind of John Joe Shelby kind of like slowly moves around the pitch and can strike a clean ball and then you know they they put in a long staff next to him or Isaac Hayden or you know who or whoever may be in the middle of it. it's like you know, those are guys guys aren't exactly screaming kind of like ball retention possession-based football um you know, like a Douglas Luiz at Aston Villa or Connor Gallagher at Crystal Palace. And, you know, the, the center, central midfield talent at other clubs um, is so much more significant, I think.
1: Yeah. Um, and we'll just really briefly touch on Mikolenko for um, Everton. I actually really like that signing. Uh, 22-year-old from Dynamo Kiev. And I watched him play in the FA Cup the other day. Um, went to extra time, played the whole match. He was really impressive. Um, and that's a signing that I feel like Everton hasn't really been making lately. Um, they're also linked with Anwar El Ghazi. I think that's the more of the signings that I've been expecting them to make because they typically sign these guys that are um, a little bit towards the back half of their career. Um, and I think this this is a really smart move by them. Um, we'll see how it works out, but uh, you know, obviously. Losing their left back, bringing in a new one makes sense. And they, they need a lot of help, too. I think getting Calvert-Lewin back is going to be really important for them. Um, but, you know, the fact that they've had to play Solomon Rondon as much as they have this season, like they're a team that is in trouble. I think Rafa Benitez is still going to be potentially the next manager sacked if he can't turn it around quickly um, because things are starting to get really ugly for them. Um, they're going to need to make some more moves, too, but I think that was a really good step in the right direction.
0: Yeah, I mean, put yourself in an in, in Everton's fan's shoes, right? Like, a few seasons ago, you're signing, you got Carl Insalati as your manager. You're signing Hamas Rodriguez. You got Calvert Lewin up top. You have Guilfi Sigurdsson you're in central midfield coming in from um, top four football. You've got, um, you know, Charlison still. Yeah, young, exactly. Preferred got, the
1: England keep.
0: I mean, right, Pickford, you're bringing in Yeri Mina, you know, you, you, Luca Dean came in from, what, Barcelona. Um, I mean, you, you think of, about Everton over the past, Everton fans over the past few years, and then now where they're at, are two two signings so far this season before Mike were Damari Gray and Andres Townsend. And now they're linked with Admiral Ghazi. And. Um, you know, you might sack Rafa. So, I think um, honestly, I think the the spending behavior reminds me a few a few seasons ago, you know, probably about five years ago, um, Southampton's change in in spend behavior, where they sort of sold off uh, Ricky Lambert, they sold off um, Morgan, uh, Morgan Schneiderlin, Luke Shaw, Adam Lallana, um, you know, all these all these uh, Virgil van Dijk, Sadio Mane, these strong players that they had. Um, they kind of sold them all for big assets, and then they immediately sort of re—I don't even know if they reinvested that money, but they just sort of went with the youth, and then they paid Haas Hotel to sort of manage tactically and say, hey, like, this is a manager tactically, and it was good enough, we were not going to get relegated. And then Southampton just had an ownership change, um, so they just sold the club. So I almost feel like this ch- change in—very clear change in strategy at Everton is, is, is indicative that the owners are going to try to sell, or they're going to try and— um, you know, make some sort of change at the top because very clearly they've gone from a, hey, let's throw it all, let's throw it all at the wall, let's try and get top four, let's buy all these premier talents to get our fans excited. And there's been a buzz before every season at Everton for the past few years. And then now very clearly, and it's not, I feel bad for Rafa because it feels like wrong time, wrong, wrong place, but very clearly their top-down philosophy in, in terms of recruitment um, and, and personnel is different. Right, um, because they don't make the moves that they've made or targeting the players that they targeted. Um, they might sell Luka Dean and pick up Anwar El Ghazi. The rumored fee, I think, is like 15 million. So that's like what that's a 10 million pound difference. You gain 10 million pounds and pick up uh, El Ghazi and lose Dean. Like Everton's the clear loser in that situation, right?
1: Yeah, well, Mikalenko I mean, was more of the like for like signing too, but yeah, I agree. I mean, they're not really spending like they used to it has seemed like a a big shift. And I think part of that might be just because the spending that they did do didn't really work for them. Um, You know, they they had like you talked about Thomas Rodriguez, you talked about Gilfie, you talked about, you know, some of these other guys, Alan DeCore, some of these guys they spent money on, they just haven't really worked out. Um, So I think that the fact that they invested a lot of money and didn't do it wisely might have the owners a little bit turned off to that. Yeah, maybe they are looking to sell. Or maybe they're just trying to build a different way, but either way, it's not really exciting to be an Everton supporter at this point. So, no. do feel for them, but um, really the only other like major name I'm seeing linked right now, um, at least as far as like the bigger clubs go, is Dusan Vlahovic to Arsenal potentially. He's like one of the hottest names out there right now, uh, Serbian striker for Fiorentina. He's 21 years old. He's got 16 goals in Serie A this season already and 20 appearances. So he's he's really, uh, really in form. Um, and apparently they want 75 mil for him, uh, which is uh, a big chunk of change. Uh, Arsenal are trying to break it up over installments is the rumor. And Fiorentina kind of hold all the cards and they want the fee at once. And the thinking is that um, I, I, I think that I read that he has a transfer clause that might get um, might come into play in the summer, but it's not active yet. And so they think that when the summer comes around, all the big clubs are going to be coming in for him anyway, so they're not really pressured to sell at this point. Um, but, I mean, that would be a huge move. And, you know, I was talking earlier about how guys coming out of contract kind of influence some of these things. You have Alexander Lacazette out of contract in six months, You've got Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang clearly out of favor with the club, a lot of disciplinary issues, um, stripped of his captaincy, not really playing, he's been suspended. Like It's been really bad. And, um, those are their two main strikers, the guys that are paying the most. So you think that they're both gone in the summer. They're going to have to reinvest, and Gabriel Martinelli is probably not out number nine. Um, so I, I think it would be a, a huge signing for Arsenal. I think any, any Arsenal fan is probably like, freaking out about this right now if they can get this guy, but um, I'm a little bit skeptical at this point. Outside of that, though, I really haven't seen any like blockbuster deals per se, uh, coming across. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that one specifically or anything
0: else. Yeah, no, I think, like I said, I think it's the, the only other angle I'd sort of throw out, which I think uh, we're going to start to see more of an impact whenever uh, this summer, but I'm, steering, I'm seeing Gears turn already um, is the loan signings that are made permanent. So there's a few a handful of players, you know, across the top four divisions who are out on loan um, and, you know, who are being recalled. And then there are also players who are also being sent out in January. January is an interesting time where you can sort of offload these players who have been on the fringe of your team to, to get more playing time and then also, you know, rearrange a little bit. Um, you know, for example, Ainsley, Maitland-Niles went out on loan from um, – from Arsenal today, um, and I think when you look at uh, Connor Gallagher and Armando Broja, who are two Chelsea Academy loanees, I I just wonder what their fee is going to be and what what business is going to be done with those two in the summer, right? And so I think about other players who are on loan. Those are two two of the prime ones that are coming uh, coming to mind right now, who are on loan from Chelsea. Their valuation is shooting up every week. Um, you know Conor Gallagher in the summer if he goes on a transfer, like you know what, what does Chelsea take for him, right? Does he, is he on the fringe of that first team? Does he go into the first team? Is he out of the first team and he goes for fifty million? Is I mean, he twenty million because he's not a first team player. Like I, I think no minimum idea. fifty million, right? Per that's Gallagher. crazy, right? That that's 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 a huge fee. And then and then Armando Broja, who's a you know twenty year old. Um, he's eligible for the Albanian national team. Uh, but he's grown up in England, so he speaks very good English. He's having a stormer for Southampton. Um, and what's his valuation going to be? There's no way he walks in over Lukaku at Chelsea, right? Um, or Timo Werner um, in, in, into that team. So what's his valuation this summer going to be? So mm, I um, wouldn't say
1: I wouldn't say that about Werner so quickly, but <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. He's he's been lighting it up, and uh, you're right. I mean, he's, these guys are. I, do you loan out either of them again? I don't really think you do. If you're Chelsea, maybe Broja, but um, not Gallagher at this point. I think Gallagher either fights for a place in the first team, or they sell him.
0: Right, and there's a yeah, and there's a lot of and you know obviously these players that are out on loan. There's discussion over you know, do you get the bid in now if you're Crystal Palace? Do you try and get ahead of it and make it a January signing so that way you have him you know full time for the rest of the season? And I don't know how difficult that business is to do because obviously. You know, if you're the the loaning the loan the loaning club out, if you're Chelsea, you want to hold on to him throughout the rest of the season. Wait till his value goes all the way up. Assess your squad in the summer, and decide what moves you can make. Yeah, and so, then you can field um,
1: offers from a bunch of clubs if you decide you're selling him. I mean, right. big clubs would be in on him, right? Like I, I saw something about right. PSG <laughs> being interested in him. I, he's he's attracting a lot of attention, and so I don't think it makes sense for Chelsea to make a decision um, until the summer. Uh, they're going to maximize their value there. But yeah, it's an interesting uh, interesting thought for sure.
0: Well, speaking of the summer, do you think Antonio Conte um, gets investment then? Um, or do you think they aid him with any sort of transfer business here in January?
1: <laughs> I kind of think that he's, um, the fact that he's getting good results right now is hurting his ability to get financial. Because hmm. um, he has started to turn or right the ship, I guess, a little bit quicker maybe than expected. Um, and Spurs still a long way to go, but his comments in the media the other day basically saying that, um, he, he's getting questions about, you know, January spending, and he's basically saying that his best option to improve Spurs fortunes right now are to get the most out of the players that he already has. And, um, he's not directly calling out, you know, Levy and the ownership and whoever, um, as far as not getting money, but he's kind of fixing at it. Um, and, I mean, are we shocked? Like, this is what Spurs have done forever. Like, this is this is their M.O. And just because they bring in a reputable manager doesn't necessarily mean they open the checkbook. I mean, they had Jose Mourinho there. They weren't going out and spending huge on a ton of guys. They were signing Hoiberg, right, and uh, Regulon. Like, not, not bad players, but they're not going out and signing, like, world-class superstars. Um, and I don't think that they're going to change their philosophy just because they have. Conte there, they probably are thinking that Conte's maybe going to be a short-term thing for them anyway, right? So um I think no, unless they sell Harry Kane, I, I don't really think they're going to spend a ton of money.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And and I agree. I'm not really sure why it's a shock at this point to in, whether it be incoming managers or fans in general, right? Like Spurs just have proven that they have, you know, they have they don't do business that way and they've also proven that I mean there's egos above there's bigger personalities above the manager who making these decisions and if I think about some of the other clubs like you don't hear about that at Manchester City right like you I don't know if you would see Pep going out there and saying we you know I, I don't have the money I need to focus here right you wouldn't have Jurgen Klopp saying that at Liverpool, it's it's much more of a unified front where they're saying, oh, you know, we don't have the budget to do this. We need to focus here, right? They see they see, it seems like a cohesive thing. They're on the same page. But whenever it spurs, it, it, it always it always feels like upper, you know, upper management and their manager always pulling in different directions, you know? It's, Even kind of, Arsenal. it's almost the feeling that I get.
1: Like Arsenal don't. I mean, they did actually spend really big this summer. I think they were the biggest spenders in the Prem. But typically, they haven't spent that much money. They don't. They don't go out and make like huge 100 million pound Jack Grealish type signings. But I don't see Arteta coming out and speaking poorly of the board or anything like that either.
0: Yeah, it's just it. it just seems something that's just it's Spurs, right? And it's it's the meme. Spurs are gonna Spurs. So um, yeah, I don't think he's gonna get much support. I think maybe they, you know, maybe they do some business in the summer. But um, you know, it is what it is. Um, And then looking at the table, I mean, Chris, at this point, how are you feeling on Manchester City going on winning the title? Confident, not confident?
1: Well, I mean, I definitely would bet on them um, if I had to take a horse at this point. I mean, they have a 10-point lead over Chelsea. They're up 11 points on Liverpool, but Liverpool do have one game in hand. So, you know, best-case scenario for Liverpool, they're eight points off pace, and Liverpool are missing two of their best players for the next couple of weeks here. Um, with AFCON. So I think Chelsea, the way they've been playing, they've drawn four of the last five. Although the Lukaku distraction is not going to help them. Um, I, I just kind of, I think they're going to finish top four comfortably, but I don't think that they're really going to challenge City. I think Liverpool is the team that could. Um, but given everything working against them with the combinations going on right now and just already starting from what they have to make up a few matches I mean city, just, So they just don't seem like a team. They're not a team that's going to drop points to the lower sides where they play, right? Like, they're, I mean, they they did lose to Palace, right, uh, earlier in the season. So they have two losses, but they, the way they control possession and dictate play, it's just very, very hard uh, for teams that aren't as skilled or as athletic as them to keep up. Um, And Liverpool and Chelsea are only going to get one more shot at them to take points off them directly. So, yeah, I mean, I would say at this point, I, I feel like 90% chance City ends up winning this. I mean, I wouldn't, wouldn't rule it out that they could stumble a bit, but uh, I, it seems hard to believe.
0: Yeah, and, and City are alive and well in the Champions League as well. And so this kind of feels like um, Pep's, I think he won the treble of Barcelona, um, you know, with the Aniesta, Javi, David Villa unit, um, <clears throat> and this sort of feels like this could be that season for City with how dominant they are, um, their depth. They they haven't really had any COVID issues or notable injury issues. Um, you know, they've been making all their games on time. I, I think uh, there's a, a laser focus from that group this season and across all fronts. And so, yeah, I expect um, I expect them to win the title. And I expect them to honestly push to the final of the Champions League as well. Um, there, I, I don't know.
1: Their depth defensively is just crazy, um,
0: right? I mean, they, With they the have... exception of, of Cancelo, I think Cancelo is um, because they had the the Mendy they had the Mendy fiasco. Um,
1: um, yeah, but so... Zinchenko isn't bad if they need to, to fill in here or there. Like if they lost Cancelo long term, that would be a problem. Um, but they they also are comfortable like playing Nathan Ake out at left back too. Like they
0: true yeah. they've
1: done a lot of different things, and you know Bernardo Silva like was. Like rumored to be out at City over the summer, he didn't really play much last year. I mean, he's having like uh, a total turnaround season. He's been incredible. He still okay Gundawan playing really well. Rodri is as good of a holding midfielder as you're probably going to find in the Prem right now. And then up top, you just can rotate all these guys, and they still don't have that really good striker. Um, but it doesn't really matter, you know, Foden, Mares. Those guys are getting it done for them, um, and it just they're a machine at this point. It seems like. Like, Chelsea has these distractions. Um, Liverpool has not as much depth, I would say. Um, and City, there's just really not any, like, holes you can poke in that team right now.
0: Yeah, agreed. And I think, I think you know, I think I'll stick to my original preseason prediction, which was, you know, City winning the title and Liverpool finishing second. I think that is how it's going to pan out. Um, I think what's going to be probably more exciting to watch towards the end of the season is going to be the bottom part of the table on this relegation fight because I do think we're going to have a four-way you know maul to the death for for relegation um and i and i think adding in the newcastle element will be fascinating stuff through the rest of the season yeah i'm
1: excited for that too and i and i think the european battle will be good as well you know united are not a sure thing at this point um spurs arsenal west ham and then you're right like, there's a couple teams like villa or wolves or brighton that might be able to push in there and make make some noise southampton are finding their form a bit so excuse me, I think there's a lot to watch um, even if the title race doesn't pan out to be a, a thriller down the stretch I think we're going to have a lot of storylines to keep an eye on
0: Yeah and last, uh, you know, as we kind of pivot away from Europe to, to AFCON um, have you been paying attention to the AFCON games, thoughts on the games so far, performances, I've kind of been loosely following the games I watched, you know, maybe an hour and a half of YouTube highlights today on the games, but I haven't been watching them live.
1: I haven't really watched much I did see um, that Nigeria beat Egypt the other day, it did not show with the goal. I think Salah didn't really have a huge, huge impact, but I haven't been following it too closely. I probably will as it gets into the later stages, but obviously I saw uh, the craziness that was the Mali-Tunisia match, so I don't know if you want to take over on that or you want me no, to. No,
0: go for it, go for it.
1: Yeah, so um, the referee this match, his name is Johnny Sakazwe. I don't know if I'm saying that right or not, but um, he had an all time performance uh, in this Tunisia Mali match. So Mali was up one nil and inexplicably in the 85th minute, he blew the full time whistle in the 85th minute, Um, which led to an uproar um, for the Tunisian coaches and players. They're all like, "Uh, hey buddy, we got five minutes left in the match here. So they like convinced him to restart the match and then he blew it in the 89th minute, um, or like 30 seconds before the 90th minute even hit. And the same thing happened. He also gave a red card, I think, in between to one of the Mali players. Uh, this is a guy who's been previously suspended uh, on suspicion of corruption. So I'm not exactly sure what he was doing there anyway. He's a Zambian referee. Um, but, I mean, if you're going to like be doing match fixing, something corrupt, like, that's not a very good job of faking it when you're gonna blow the whistle in the eighty-fifth minute. Like what? Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so every everything I'm reading is that he had um he did he he must have taken out a huge bet on the under, which was one and a half goals um in the game. So he must have had a huge bet on that and tried to call the game early, and then um he was nervous that you know uh, the g- game flow. Molly could have gotten one on the counter or on the break, and so then Red gave a red card to their forward to bring them down, knowing that Tunisia was going to kind of struggle to score. And then yeah, like didn't even award the, well, the they, extra time. So
1: there were there was they have a cooling break for these games. Um, there was the red card that happened in like the 89th minute. There was also like a lengthy video review for a penalty, um, and he didn't give anything and it's just absolutely insane to me that like if you're gonna like max fish max feature what a match fix geez or whatever like you gotta gotta fake a little bit better than that I also was reading some tweets and stuff that apparently the guy looked like he was just totally gassed like couldn't make it through the 90 minutes he just wasn't (laughs) fit enough to do that so I don't know if his fitness had anything to any role to play in that that'd be kind of funny Um, but I mean I I'm all for it. Like let's get some buzz for AFCON, even if it's negative at this point for the refereeing, like let's get some eyes out there because I feel like people aren't talking about it enough. Um, I, I hope that there's not any other like issues like this. Obviously I want it to be a smooth event. I want them to focus more on the players and the countries and all of that. Uh, but I'm glad we're at least talking about it. it. It is wild though. It's just a crazy story.
0: Yeah. From, from the, from the portions of the game that I've watched, um, unfortunately, there's been a lot of you know one-nil wins. I think like almost like fifty percent of the games so far have been decided by one, just one-nil, um, with a decent amount of penalties being scored. Um, overall, the quality football from you know again from what I've watched the relatively limited amount uh, that I've watched has been unfortunately pretty low um, and and kind of linear with the refereeing standard that we just saw. Um, uh, a special shout out to Sierra Leone's goalkeeper who kept a clean sheet against uh, the reigning Afghan champions, Algeria, um, kind of fended off Riyad Mars, had an insane game. You can actually like YouTube those clips. He's like, he's playing very aggressive, kind of like you're playing mini sticks, if anyone's done that with like hockey in, in the basement. We played mini sticks at the Ridgeway House growing up, Chris, so you know. But, oh, yeah. Um, like he's like sliding out, like 30 yards out, making crazy challenges, like diving about inside his box, like, like a mini stick goalie. Um, and, uh, shout out to Stephen McConnell for sharing me on that, on, on this video, this year, Leone you know, goalkeeper, but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that was a kind of an interesting highlight. Um, and yeah, like I said, a lot of the games being decided by, you know, one nil is <laughs> like the tournament progresses a little bit and the teams are able to gel a little bit more. You're, you're going to be able to see some, some bigger games because there's also some really small countries, um, with not a lot of like, every time I look at a fixture on Thought Mob, I try and. Like, look at, you know, any big names that I know or any kind of, like, first division in Spain, Italy, England, Germany, players that I'll recognize. Um, And most teams who have played so far, there's kind of, like, you know, maybe three on the high end, like five with like Ghana or Cameroon that are in the team. But almost, you know, yeah, right. Some of the other countries, or Algeria, like some of the other countries have maybe like, you know, maybe like one or two. Um, like Kai Kamara is rolling out for Sierra Leone, right? Um, former MLS star. So yeah, um, yeah hopefully it just picks up as the... Well, I'm looking himself. right now.
1: And so they've all played one match so far. And that's, that's 12 total matches. There's only been one match, there, then one goal scored in there. Um, yeah, every other good. match was one nil or nil nil, so that's not really. And I think that
0: was, and that one game was the opening game, right? It ones.
1: was Cameroon Burkina Faso two one. So
0: yeah,
1: um, yeah. I mean, hopefully we'll see some other uh, better matches, and as we get into the knockout stages and stuff, I'm sure we will. Um, there are definitely a lot of talented players there, and there's some good sides. There's just a couple other countries that probably aren't quite up for it. That's like how it goes in the European Championship and everything, right? So uh, it's exciting. Hopefully, we'll uh, be able to talk about it a little bit more. And, um, you know, hopefully there's no, like, God forbid, like, injuries or major issues with some of these Premier League players that could really impact the season. Because it is crazy to have a tournament like this midseason. We're going to see it next yeah, year with the World it's Cup, it's. too. Um, but this is very, this is the typical time for the Cup of Nations is January. Um, so it is wild. That's just like, oh, hey, um, Liverpool, your two best attackers. Yeah, they're going to be gone for, like, four to six weeks. Sorry.
0: Yeah, and it's it's been it's been timed decently well, I will say. Like where you know some some t- players might only be missing for two two game weeks. Yeah. Um. So they might only miss two fixtures for their clubs. I think on the max, I'll miss four. Um. Which for a major international tournament, you know, you'd think it'd be more, but, um, yeah, we'll we'll pay close attention to see. Uh, you know, of course, if there are any implications, like maybe you know, somebody has a huge tournament. Um. You know, I saw Vincent Abubakar – Um banged a couple penalties home in that opening game. Um, and, you know, maybe he, I don't know, maybe he goes, you know, go, he's a, a, I think like a 31-year-old striker, And maybe, you know, uh, someone like uh, Newcastle or, or Burnley at this point, like they need a goal scorer, and so they go out and splash the cash on someone like that who's, who's banging goals in um, regularly. So um, either way, uh, we'll wrap it up here with our predictor app picks. So Chris, like you just said, you since you just bought your house with your predictor money, you can kick us off. <laughs> All right,
1: yeah. All right, so we got first matches in Newcastle at home against Watford. So this is a, a real relegation six-pointer at this point. Um, I'm going to go 1-1. One, one. Um, speaking of AFCON, Emmanuel Dennis not going for Watford was a big story. It was kind of messed up, honestly. I guess Nigeria like missed the deadline um, to inform Watford, and Watford basically said, sorry, he's not going, even though he wanted to go. So I feel bad for him, but he is a stud especially for my fantasy team. Um, He's really been the driving force for Watford's attack as of late. And I think Newcastle is still figuring it out. I'm going to go 1-1, but I think this one could really go either way, though.
0: Yeah, super interesting. And unfortunately for Emmanuel Dennis, he can't go, um, which, you know, there's some ethical questions in there. I don't really think too highly of Watford to begin with, so. Um, but uh, I'm gonna actually I'm gonna go two one Newcastle. I think based on the business we were talking about, Chris and you know we I think we can both agree we like the business that Newcastle have done. Um, and you know I think they I think they sneak one out two one. It's this one's gonna be gritty. Um, they're coming off of uh, I think Chris Wood starts up top. Not, not well, a couple balls down to say Maximin.
1: I was gonna say I don't know if they're gonna have Wood for this game yet. We'll see. They, Trippier, we'll I definitely expect to be in the squad. Wood, I don't know, because I don't think it's totally been finalized yet. Um, fortunately, he's already in England, so that should make it a little bit easier. But I, I'm not sure if he'll be ready for this one, or it'll be...
0: And this is okay. what? This this is, this is game's on Saturday, right? Yeah, Saturday. So I think as long as they get uh, the... Yeah, I think as long as the it gets approved and they register him in time, they should be good.
1: I think so, but I'm not we'll sure. Trippier's definitely with the team, and he's I'm sure he'll play. But Wood, Wood's right. a little I, bit more in doubt.
0: Yeah, either way, I got two one Newcastle. Um, I just I don't know what it is. I just feel like they're gonna. I feel like they're gonna. Uh, yeah, I feel like they're gonna steam this one out. I don't like. Maybe it's Emmanuel Dennis. I don't. I just don't like Watford that much. So I think two one.
1: Yeah, fair. Um, All right, next one uh, also Saturday, Aston Villa at home against Man United. A little bit of a rematch from the FA Cup uh, match on Monday. It was pretty controversial. United took that one one nil. I'm gonna go Villa one United nil on this one. Um, Coutinho also might be able to play here. I don't know if they'll like start or come off the bench or whatever. That'll be exciting for Villa fans. Um, but Villa played really well on Monday against United. They were pretty unlucky Unlucky did not get a goal. Um, they had one that was disallowed. Obviously, it was very controversial. Um, we don't need to get into all of that right now. But I think Villa are going to bounce back. They're starting to find their rhythm under Gerrard. And uh, I think they're going to have a lot, like a, a chip on their shoulder, a lot to play for in this one.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go 2-1, just like that previous uh, fixture. I think Villa will win this one 2-1. Um, to your point, I think there are just a little bit more goals in this game than there were in uh, in the in the former fixture. Uh, and I think, you know, there are going to be a couple maybe set-piece goals or scrappier goals, but there was a lot of action in each goal mouth on, for both teams. Um, you know, I mean, Martinez made some good saves. Tapathe made some good saves. So I think there will be some more goals in this one. Um, and teams will kind of, you know, throw in some slightly different looks, right? Ronaldo should be in this game, which he didn't play a part in the previous fixture. Um, Coutinho, like you just mentioned, so um, I think that'll play a role, and you'll see some more goals in this one. So I see, I think Villa win two one. Yeah, I like that. All right, what's your take?
1: Uh, we got Liverpool against Brentford at Anfield.
0: Yeah, I got it's because it's at Anfield. I think this one's going to be three uh, 0 Liverpool. Um, I think Liverpool are going to have a bit of a personal vengeance mission uh against the bees here because this the reverse fixture was 3-3 um and uh and so I think they've definitely earmarked that and they're going to say you know we've we've really got to nail down here and I think a lot of a lot of people will doubt them given the fact that Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah are away at AFCON but um I just think the the their dynamic play at the outside back position and as well as their defense um I just, I, I think they're going to be really strong. I think they're going to be too much for Brentford to handle. And Brentford have kind of gone off the boil a little bit. Um, just got waxed by Southampton 4-1. So I think this one's
1: 3-0. Yeah, I was going to say that about Brentford. I mean, losing 4-1 uh, midweek to Southampton is not great. Um, their fixtures have not been super easy as of late, though. I'm not really like ready to write them off or anything. Um, and they've done enough at this point to pretty much avoid a relegation battle. So hats off to them. I am going to go Liverpool 2-1. Um, the guy that just doesn't get enough credit, even though I feel like we talk about him a lot, but Diogo Jota has just been really, really good for them. Um, he's not at AFCON. He'll be in the lineup. And uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold's having uh, an, a phenomenal season. I just feel like this Liverpool team still has enough firepower um, without Salah and Mane to get past some of these smaller clubs. Um, if they you know, had to go up against like a, a City or a Chelsea or other like really informed, big, talented club, I think they would struggle a little bit more. Uh, But they have a a really good tactical identity, even without those guys, and they're going to be able to pull this one out.
0: Yep. Yeah, I like that take, too. Um, And then next game, we got West Ham versus Leeds. we reckon there's some goals in this one? Uh, Yeah, I got
1: 5-1 West Ham. Um, (laughs) It's partially just because Leeds, I don't know what's going on with them this season, but I just have no faith in Leeds at all. And West Ham are really rolling right now. Um, Antonio's healthy. Jared Bowen is playing completely out of his mind. Um, They just rested Ben Rama midweek. I mean, I'm sure he'll be back in the lineup. Flornales is having a good year. They're just firing on all cylinders. I think Declan Rice is becoming one of the best players in the Premier League, if not already one. Um, And I don't know, man, they might be the most fun team to watch in the league right now.
0: Yeah, I saw something that West Ham are only going to entertain offers for Declan Rice in the region of 200 million (laughs) pounds. Okay. Um, <laughs> which is just basically a huge fuck you to everybody else in the league. Um, yeah, I think there are goals in this one for sure. It's so funny, just a quick note on this, it's so funny how the narrative on Leeds has totally changed. You know, this time last season it was, oh, Bielsa ball, they're taking the Premier League by storm, they're kicking the big teams in the teeth, they're so good. And, um, you know, I think fitness-wise, tactically, the size of that squad – you know, uh, doing the type, playing the brand of the football they play for, you know, multiple years at a Premier League level, they've just shown that it's really, really hard to do, right? They've got injuries popping up left and right. Um, you know, they get blown out in some really big games. Um, you know, conceded conceded concede a lot of goals this season, um, and their squads, you know, pretty thin, right? So they've they've done it, quote unquote, kick the big big teams in the mouth without really investing um, like a big team. I've really, you know, like they've signed Rafinha um picked up dan james who was a target for them when they were in the championship already so it's just kind of like hey we always wanted this guy we can pick him up for relatively cheap why not um yeah the narratives just totally change on Leeds, and and that they're kind of year to year with bielsa on contracts they're kind of like at his whim for like how hard he's gonna work or how you know whether he wants to stay he's like too much of an icon to uh, um for them to fire him sort of thing so it's it's just a weird spot at Leeds, and um yeah, but also, yeah, which, you know, like, if you're a Leeds fan, you're probably not feeling great. And so, yeah, I think you're going to get smacked by West Ham, who just, it's the opposite, where last year everyone felt really good about them. Uh, well, not quite the opposite, but last year everyone felt every, really good about them. And then the narrative is totally continued, where it's like, yes, they're so good. They're actually built, um, they've gone from strength to strength. They brought in some uh, some other um, attacking players. They brought in depth to sort of cope with the European push, right? Suchek was out today. Uh, Fornals kind of slot into central midfield next to Declan Rice. Bowen is looking a class above what he was last season. Lanzini's scoring uh, amongst the goals. Vlasic looks halfway decent. So, um, and then, the, you know, they're dealing with injuries at center back. So, yeah, they, they have a little blip of form, but the West Ham narrative is maintained really strong. So, that's a long way of me analyzing those teams and saying 2 0, West Ham win.
1: Yeah, I have one thing to say. The, the Bielsa squat on the sideline looks really, really good when they're winning, and it looks yeah. really, really sad when they're not.
0: Yeah, that's he's just a, like that's picking an excellent
1: that take. picking that grass, you know, looking out off in the distance. When they're losing, it's like, man, this guy is just disenchanted. He doesn't even know where he it's is. It's kind of
0: like it's kind of like a little kid who you grew up playing soccer with, who like is in defense on your team. I'm talking like a six year old, or the kind of kid who's like. On, like, squatting, picking dandelions during the game. Like, that's kind of what he looks like. You know what I mean? Yeah. We, we, and, we, like, all had that kid.
1: But the funny thing is, like, when they're winning, everyone's like, ooh, look at him. Like, he's just squatting, like, seeing over the pitch. Like, look at this guy. He's a legend. And then when they lose, I'm like, oh, man. Like, someone get that guy a chair. He looks tired. He's just, just not. He's I just, just interested in the game. I,
0: at his age, the abuse that his, you know, ACL and MCL are taking doing those squats, I'm just...
1: Yeah, his knees knees have to be shot. His joints are not doing well. Um, All right, last one. We got a derby. Spurs, Arsenal. North London derby. The North London derby. Um, We have some similar results here. I got 1-1. We talked a little bit about both these teams earlier, at least as far as transfer activity goes. I think they're both in a fairly good position right now um, with where their seasons are going. Uh, Obviously, Arsenal turned it around a little bit. Spurs, too, with managerial change. Um, I don't think either of them are really ready to push um, towards the title race with the, with the squads they have. They're going to need to strengthen, but um, they're both in the right direction. Uh, I just don't really see much between them at this point, so I'm going to go 1-1. One, one.
0: Yeah, I, I sort of have a, a similar analysis of both these teams. I have nil-nil, um, and not very often will I say nil-nil um, for the predictor app, but this just feels like one of those where both teams are not going to want to lose the match. Um, you know, Arsenal's in some good form lately. Spurs have this good defensive u- unity under Conte. I don't know if Spurs are going to exactly push on, score loads of goals. I also feel like this is the kind of game where Mikel Arteta's going to try and shore things up. Um, and, I, you know, I think Conte and Arteta sort of, like, neutralize each other with this game. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I think, you know, Kane's not in form, and Arsenal are sort of without, um you know, a, a prolific center forward with bombing out of favor and, uh, you know, Lacazette out of contract in six months, um, you know, filling a gap with pressing but not really showing off a ton of quality. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, circling back to the transfer rumors earlier, you know, Arsenal seemingly, like, are in the market for another big name forward. Again, where in the last five years, they've signed bombing and Lacazette, who were huge name forwards from in Pepe. You know, uh, yeah, <laughs> just yeah. So they had they have spent a lot of money. I think you said earlier they have they have, um, and uh, and just feels like they need a, a strong center forward. They've had some good players come from the academy and some good youth come through. You know, Martinelli's come through. Um, you know, into the first team. Um, obviously on Academy product, but they bought him at a young age. Smith Rowe, Bakao and, you know, Eddie Nketiah doesn't really seem like he's that guy, although he's the Academy product. Well, he's so he's rumored to um, be
1: on the outs, so we'll
0: see. Right. So I've got nil-nil. Yeah, I've got nil-nil in that one. Um, and then that wraps us up, Chris. Predictor app picks. We ripped an hour here in 2022. Um, yeah, anything else to add?
1: No, look at us. That's some, uh, that's some endurance right there. Uh, going for the full 60 minutes but no it uh, could be in back hopefully people like the episode you know treat us some feedback thoughts make sure you join the predictor and get your picks out there uh, but i got nothing else
0: no well uh me neither one oh actually i will say the code is s nine Y Q 6 um it makes me feel official when we have that code because you know when you listen to like other podcasts and they're like oh yeah you know like we have like we have a partnership with gap clothing you know sign up using our discount code like it just you know, and then they put it on there because there's hundreds of thousands of people listening. It kind of makes me feel cool when I read off a code
1: for the free predictor Uh, app that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's, it's
1: not the same, but I guess it kind of feels like the same a little bit.
0: Right. Well, that's all we got. Um, As always, everyone, uh, thanks for listening. Just goes to show.
1: Everybody's human.